Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. friends thank you for tuning in to truth and justice you are listening to the friday follow-up for season 13 and the murder of jody jones part three this week bob had a quick conversation about the timeline with case expert dr sandra lean dr sandra lean has a wealth of knowledge on this case and it was wonderful to hear what she had to say this episode has raised a lot of questions and bob janet and i are going to do our best to answer them all before that bob do we have any updates housekeeping or general filibustering Filibustering. Yeah, I wanted to try something different. Is that the first time you ever used that word? No. No. Used before. Uh that you could pretty much we could rename this podcast Bob's Filibustering uh a lot of times. <laughs> uh yeah, so we got a a few things I want to talk about. One is uh we do now have an editor that is editing our follow-ups. I have not, and I don't know when I'm going to have time to completely redo our credits to put him in there as the editor. So I'm just going to tell you in every one of these episodes. This episode is edited by Brandon Reynolds. You can check out some of Brandon's work. He is the host of the Journos podcast. Great podcast. He's a freelance journalist and an audio editor. So thank you, Brandon, our new follow-up editor. I'm still going to be, for now, editing the rest of them, but uh, Brandon is taking the follow-ups off my hand, which is the biggest time saver for me. If I had to pick something to save some time, then this is it. So thank you, Brandon, for that. And also, huge thank you to... All of you and our our patrons in particular, because that's we were able to be able to bring an editor back on because of your support. So all of you, whether it's just listening and keeping the numbers up or advertisers or it's on Patreon and and your your donations, all of that makes a big difference. And it is now saving me hours of editing time uh, that Brandon will be doing. So uh, I also wanted to touch base. So the Delphi update that we had last week. I just I just want to give you guys a recommendation. Um, so I was reading more and more into this, and I was seeing a lot of stuff posted online about it. Bob Mata, who is the host of Defense Diaries, Bob was on True Crime Binge with me. I met Bob's great dude, great podcast. Uh, he actually um, on Twitter on multiple occasions offered to moderate the conversation between the prosecutors and me about Adnan's case, which they you know they they turned down. But uh, I don't know where Bob falls on that. But uh, good guy. Anyway, he in and his defense diaries feed did two episodes on this update where he breaks down the entire document. And it's I believe his wife is his co-host on there. Hmm. And I apologize. I did this just came to me that I wanted to share this with you guys. I know a lot of people were interested in like a more 
professional take than what what Zach and I had on it. But they're both attorneys, and Bob does a really, really good job of breaking down, explaining some things. It was really kind of eye-opening. Now, he also referenced, I guess, the, the prosecutors did something on it also, and they seem to have a very different take. I didn't listen to theirs. I don't know. But it's, if you want to hear kind of the two perspectives on it, maybe listen to that and listen to Bob Mata's. But I don't know how you could have a better take than Bob has. You know, it sounded like the prosecutors kind of laughed it off as a bunch of nonsense. And Bob on Defense Diaries broke it down. And he has some big concerns. And he's not, Bob is very much fact based. He's explaining how different elements are affected by the law. Uh, I just thought it was a really, really great measured look at it. And it helped me a lot to understand more of it. I mean, he, mm. it, the first one, so if you go to the, their feed, they're, it's, they're kind of tricky to find, uh, but there's, there's like updates on Delphi part four and part five. So obviously he's done other stuff on Delphi in the past, but part four was like a, a Twitter spaces or something. So the audio is not great on it. He's like literally doing it in real time and he, re- he captured the recording and put oh, it wow. out. Okay. Uh, but he's like reading the 136 page document while he's breaking it down. And then I think it was the next day or a couple of days later, they came back on a set down, like in the studio, did like a real podcast on it where they, they really thoroughly broke everything down. So anyway, if you're interested in that stuff that's going on in Delphi and you want to fully understand what's going on, check out Defense Diaries and Bob Mata. They do a fantastic job of breaking it down, at least giving you the facts. You can form your own opinions on that. So that is that. Uh, this week for the patrons, you should have already heard, hopefully, by now, if I get it done <laughs> tomorrow in time. It'll be our episode five, which covers the prosecutor's episode five on Adnan's case. And that covers from January 14th up through the time that Adnan was arrested, all the timeline in there. So that is coming out this week. And again, it should have dropped on Wednesday. So we will have been another long one. It's Tuesday night right now. I'm 20 pages into that script with lots of source documents cited. So that'll be up too. And one last thing before we move into our discussion about this episode in this case. Uh, I do have a missing persons of the week case here. This one comes out of California. It's a little bit of an older case. This was sent to us by Erica Cantor. And so this case is from May 5th of 2020. So this case is about three years old, but super interesting one. Devante Morgan, who was 28 years old, and he was missing out of Mount Shasta, California. Uh, and I'm just going to read to you the research that Erica did into this because it's a pretty interesting story. Now, uh, the details of his disappearance. So on May 4th of 2020, Devante and his girlfriend, who's 20 years his senior, left on a trip to Mount Shasta. Devante was supposed to return home the following day. He disappeared after he and his girlfriend got into a fight. One source said they broke up but still spent the night together. His brother got a call from the girlfriend in the evening of the next day on the 5th saying they got into an argument. Devante left and he hasn't come back. Another source said that she went for a walk in the morning and crossed paths with him, but they didn't speak and she never saw him again. Two days later, she called again to say he was still missing. On the 5th, the girlfriend filed a police report. Police have stated that she did not appear to be upset and was acting, quote, loony. Last seen on surveillance video walking around Mont Shasta at around 9 or 10 a.m., Devante had recently been wrongfully targeted in a shooting while sitting outside of his home and suffered trauma and depression as a result. Searches have been conducted with cadaver dogs, including a residence. Families and volunteers have conducted their own searches, but nothing has been found. Hotels and transit services in the area have all been checked as well. 
Police have been unable to subpoena records for one of his credit cards. There was no phone activity from Devante in Mount Shasta, but there hadn't been two days prior either. Family and police suspect that Devante's girlfriend at least knows more than she is saying. The case is still open and being investigated. The contact for if you have any information about Devante's disappearance is the Mount Shasta Police Department at 530-926-7540. That's 530-926-7540. I'll have that number in the description of this episode. If you're from the area and have any information, uh, a little bit about Devante. He's from San Francisco. He's a musician. He is a cigarette smoker, and he walks with a slight limp. Uh, he's a black male, five foot 11, 165 pounds, brown eyes, short black hair, last seen wearing a black knit turtleneck shirt, black sweatpants with a white line, and 49ers flip-flops. May have had a rental car key with him. Has tattoos on his hands and his arms and his chest. And again, if you have any information about Devontae's disappearance, contact the Mount Shasta Police Department at 530 Four zero. Uh, so that is our missing persons case of the week. And coming up, we'll have more of these. And then one last piece of housekeeping. I probably should have done that before this. Um, thanks, Zach, for reminding me. So we're going to Obsess Fest the weekend of October 20th. Me, Janet, and Zach are all going. There's going to be a Web of Death panel where we'll be doing a panel with Ed 8 and Kim 8. That's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited about that. I'm just excited to see him, really. We're going to be doing some fun stuff. Uh, Jan and I are doing an improv game panel. We're doing a live recording of the Friday follow-up, so be on the lookout before we go there for a post where Janet's going to put out some, uh, for you guys to have any questions for us to ask live and in person at CrimeCon. And Zach and I are doing our comedy hour that we've been kind of traveling around doing. Uh, I did the the stand-up hour at Obsessed Fest last year seemed to be a hit, so we're going to be doing it again. And for any of you that maybe can't make it to Obsessed Fest and you'd love to see Zach and I do stand-up, we are actually doing a practice version of that locally here in Berrien County, Michigan, Southwest Michigan, at the Chill Hill Winery the Friday before, on Friday the 13th of October. If you are interested in going to that, it'll be pretty much the show that we're going to be doing at Obsessed Fest. And you can buy t- the tickets are 20 bucks. You can get tickets to that at bobruffevents.com. And that, I think, is the end of all of our housekeeping, unless either of you have anything else that I've forgotten. That was it. All right. With that, I can tell you that I am so happy that I was able to contact with Sandra. As I'm sure you guys heard in the interview, I was trying to stop myself from jumping ahead and trying to keep to our format, but she has such a wealth of knowledge on this case, and it was so helpful. And I'm hoping. And from the responses I saw on social media, it seems to be everyone was very much feeling the same, that it was nice to get some real factual information about the case and not having to read a bunch of sources and make try to make connections and connect dots and things. Zach, I'm going to start with you. Did, hold, did I catch you right? Are you going to talk to her again? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm really excited to hear that. Pretty much the rest of our series on Luke is going to be with Sandra. Nice. Oh, that's great because she was she was great. I loved hearing from her. I loved hearing the knowledge she had, so I'm excited. Yeah, I I was so happy. And I when I talked to her, I was like, look, we did that interview, and I was like, listen, I, I have to go through these next steps of this. I don't want to go back to going online. Are you willing to take the time? And she has very graciously said she is willing to do so for sure. I, there'll probably only be two or three more episodes on the case. We're actually going to be recording parts four and part five tomorrow. So Sandra's going to be on with me again. 
where we're going to talk about the prosecution's case against Luke. And then we're going to do another episode. We're going to do kind of a marathon session, take a break, and then cover the case for innocence. And then I may try to get her to come back on one more time to talk about where things are at in the appeals process and where things go from here. Or we may limit that one to an email and I might do it because I feel bad about taking her time, especially because we have a five hour time difference and I don't get home from the other job until 3.30, which mm. is 8.30 in the evening, her time. But so uh, I'll start with you, Zach, because you've been doing a lot of research on the, research on the case. What did you think of the interview with her? I know you said you enjoyed hearing from her. And did it change your perspective on anything? I'm, I'm sure that it has changed my perspective some. I'm still holding out. I still want to hear more. But one of the big things that I took away, and, and I it's it's graphic, and I, I hate to say it was good to hear because it wasn't good to hear, but um, where the wounds on the body was to actually hear somebody explain the wounds and how her body was left. Because we, that's been very, yeah. like, you've heard that she was she was stabbed, you've heard that she was nude and bound, but you don't really hear a lot, you know, that... To hear all the wounds, what was postmortem, what was perimortem, all, you know, I mean, it was, I hate to say it was nice to hear because it's horrible, but it's nice to get that information to move forward with. Yeah, I thought so too. And uh, uh, Kate mentions in the YouTube that she's just kind of being devil's advocate that Dr. Lean is, you know, is a well-known figure in this case, speaking for the innocent side of it and wanting to know if there's anybody with that much familiarity from the guilty side of it. And I have not seen that on social or anywhere on the internet. But I also will say that I've not seen anyone refuting the facts hmm. that she has displayed. So so there's kind of the same thing we're going on, we have going on with the Adnan case, right? People, a lot of people that maybe haven't listened or people that are just, just trying to dig their heels in are saying, well, why are you arguing about just because they came to a different conclusion in my reply brief series? And for those of you that have listened and have listened objectively, know that I'm not arguing about their conclusion i'm i'm simply correcting the record for the things that they said were in the record that were not so kind of the same thing here if you go online you'll see plenty of places and reddit and other social media places where people think luke's guilty but what i haven't seen is people saying she says this is what happened and that's not what happened Hmm. i have not seen any of that and listen if you're listening to this and if you're one of those people that are like on social media that think you're getting my goat because you're calling me names and and saying stuff about me doing the ad, like, I don't give a shit what you think about me. What's been really kind of validating for me is no one has made one single social media post that I've seen that has said anything that I've said yeah. is wrong. And that's, to me, that's a litmus test. So if, if you, if you want to get my attention, message me or tweet at me or do whatever you want to do and say, hey, you said the prosecutors lied about this fact and you're wrong about that. And I'll be happy to address that. And maybe I was, was wrong about something, but just being like, oh, Bob's an asshole. And that's, you know, that, that I don't care. That, none of that matters to think. So if you want to have a legitimate discussion about Adnan's case or about this case, then as they say, come with receipts. I don't care about what you think about me as a person or a podcaster. Tell me what specifically I have said or that Dr. Sandra Lean has said that is wrong, because so far I haven't seen anybody correct any of that. Janet, what did you? Well, think I was going to say one I, one more point that I was going to make too, and and this week, I, I, if anybody saw it, I took a beating on social media this week for my thoughts over the dog, the whole idea about the dog. Oh, really? So it was nice to hear her explain where the dog training came from. So it made me feel better because I still was believing that there, Luke didn't train that dog, mm-hmm. and and it kind of comes out that Luke didn't train that dog. Right? He had help. Luke was helping the guy train the dog. Luke wasn't the one training the dog. Yeah. I'm not obviously I took a beating and it was maybe as well deserved, but it's nice 
to hear well, the no, I actual training. Yeah, no, I don't think it was at all. And it was good to, to have that cleared up because, mm-hmm. I mean, you, your concern was could this 14-year-old boy train that dog? And what we find out was there was a very experienced trainer training the dog who was also working with Which Lou. Which changes a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. No, that so, Jana, was a what really did interesting. You think? That was a really interesting piece of information to come out. I definitely thought about you, Zach, when I was listening to it. No, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. Um, Kate, I hear you. I mean, I think in a perfect world, it would it would be nice. Again, we you know, I'm so pleased that someone has access to the case files and that we have a, a, a clearer channel to that. But we are very spoiled over here and we are used to seeing case documents and it would just be nice to be able to check all of that. That being said, I very much respect where she's coming from. I saw someone earlier in the comments say that it was very cool and inspiring to see that her interest in this case and her discovery of what the facts in the case seem to be inspired her to further her education and kind of do something about it. It's that sort of, you know, when we all say, I'm so mad about this thing or this thing happened and what can I do about it? And she's sort of the poster child of, well, here's here's what you can do if you want to totally change the course of your entire life based on this experience. And we've seen that happen with other cases as well and people who just feel called to mm-hmm. take something on like that. So um, I thought that was very inspiring. But yeah, it, it was it was very interesting. Obviously, it's always upsetting to hear facts about young people or any people being killed in this way. Um, we do have questions from listeners. I think there's still some stuff that maybe could use a little bit more clarification. Um, I have one thing in particular in mind, just because to your point, Bob, we haven't seen the place with our own eyes. There is a documentary that people are checking out. But everybody's trying to kind of put the place in their mind in a way that uh, kind of sticks and makes it easier to sort of process all the information that's coming out there. Yeah. And I will just just real quick kind of in response to the, the point that Kate raised is if there are facts that you've, you have been able to find or someone has found that, that something is incorrect, please send that to us about this. You know, we always get accused of having an agenda in the case. It's never the case. But um, certainly in this one, like, like I have no dog in this fight. You know, I just want to make sure that the truth gets out there and hopefully we bring some awareness to this case and help it get resolved. And also keep in mind, like, I'm hoping that we will get a good picture of the stuff that maybe some people think are missing. Cause I have had to had some tweets and Facebook comments and messages. I was like, well, what about this? And what about this? That's all coming this week. So that's, that's this week's episode is I've told Sandra, like, I don't want to hear arguments against it. I just want to hear. What are the elements that were used to convict Luke? So you should be getting all that this week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just a quick thank you and shout out to listener Valeria, who was the one who, I don't remember if I said it on the episode or not, but she is the one that con- put me in contact with Dr. Lean. So thank you for that, Valeria. And then let's go ahead and get into these questions. Okay, great. Well, while we're on the subject of Valeria, just a clarification that in case you thought that the name of the book is, this is a small thing, but just want to give credit where it's due, Innocence Betrayed, like I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E. If you're looking for the book by Dr. Lean, it's actually Innocence, I-N-N-O-C-E-N-T-S, Betrayed. Like the people who were innocent rather than their oh, innocence. Oh, I think I messed that betrayed. up in the episode description, so I should fix that. Um, I think I put innocence betrayed. Yeah. And it's innocent. It's a little bit of a play betrayed. on words in a sense. So that yeah. is the name of the book. And let's get into this 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 particular clarification because, Jenna, uh, I saw your post about this and I understand why you would ask this. So let's get some clarification. Jenna says, was the wall that Luke was sitting on the same wall Jody was found behind? If it was, how did Luke not witness what happened? Uh, great question, and the answer is no. So Luke was on sitting on the wall that was at his on at the end of his street by his house. It was not the wall that runs along the Roan Dyke path. That's what Doctor Lean was describing when she said, you know, that there was I don't remember off the top of my head what those times were, but you know, he was he was there until I think it was six oh five, six thirty, something like that. He was sitting at the wall, seen sitting at the wall by his house, and then he then walked up to the entrance to Roan's Dyke path to look down the path to see if she was coming. That's where that wall began. So two different walls, two different locations. Great. Thank you. Now let's get into the piece of, well, just the part where we hear about Stephen saying, and you guys talked about this, uh, you talked about this with Dr. Aline a fair bit, the Stephen call saying we called an hour ago. A few different questions around that. Jason and Bethany and Tracy all had questions. I'm going to read them together as a group because I think that makes sense. Tracy says, would Stevens called an hour ago line up with either call to the police regarding Jody being missing? And Jason and Bethany essentially were saying, could you assume that we called an hour ago was speaking in hyperbole? Like if the police hadn't shown up in close to 15 minutes and the expectation was that they would be there in five, could this have been hyperbole to exaggerate the point? And was he ever asked about that comment at trial or elsewhere? I don't think he was asked about the comment at trial, but to your point, I had the same thought about it being hyperbole. And the reason I did is from years of being a fireman. And when people are in an emergency and they're waiting for help, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but I definitely thought, I think that is a possibility to explain that because I would have, call, you know, like someone's house would be on fire and they'd call 911 and they would dispatch us. 
and we'd be in the truck in 60 seconds and down the road and we'd be on the scene, you know, 11 minutes after they initially called 911, we're there putting water on the fire and we would get that all the time. It took you forever to get here. What took so long? We've been waiting forever. We So that exactly what I was thinking when I heard this is I'm sure I have heard people say, it took you, I called an hour ago. What took so long when re- in reality, it was 10 minutes before we get there. So I, it's interesting. I don't know the answer, but that is one possible explanation. I think it could be exactly what you just said, that it's just hyperbole. And maybe even like, I, again, it feels that long. It, it has to, because this is such a common occurrence with us at the fire department. But that's just, you know, when you're watching your house burn down and you're waiting, every second feels like an hour. Sure. Yeah, Lauren in the chat says, time is so skewed when dealing with traumatic situations. Very well Mm -hmm. put. Marina says, do we have records from Jody's phone to close out the point her mother's statement changes to Jody was using her own phone? One of the things that I read was that in one of or some of Judith's statements, she said that, that Jody was using her own phone. But it was, from my understanding, it was confirmed that she did, that her phone was broken and she couldn't use her phone. Um, but I think that's what she's asking is, well, since her mom in one version of the story said she might have used her own phone, did anybody check her phone records? I don't know if they did, but my understanding was it was pretty, it, it, was, it was pretty clear that she couldn't have used her phone. Uh, Michelle says, what, if anything, do we make of the constantly changing stories from her family? I know that memories change over time, but it's so hard to hear every single detail change drastically several times. I, I hate to speculate on that. We talked a little bit about last week that maybe police nudging could be part of that. Memories changing could be part of that. Memories just being malleable where, you know, you you remember something, then you talk to somebody else who remembered something else happening, and then that kind of becomes part of your memory. There could be it could they could be intentional and purposeful changes of the story. I don't know. Those are all possibilities. Some of them like like the change of time from five thirty to four fifty. I'm not saying this is the case, but feels like police inserting that narrative to me because they had that witness statement and that was all they had because I mean, they had nothing, nothing to go on because, you know, they, they they assume it's Luke. They assume it's sexual assault. They run all the forensics and whoops, Luke's nowhere near the scene and she's not on Luke and he hasn't cleaned up or showered. So they don't have anything. But, oh, we have this witness that saw a young couple that could have been Luke. But it happened 35 minutes before she left, and suddenly the time changes to now she left five minutes before that instead of 35 minutes after that. That, to me, it just feels like – and I don't even mean like the police were like, you need to change your story to 450. And whenever we talk about any of these cases, same thing with the Anon case, right? So it's like there's a, there's this like exaggerated version of what a conspiracy is. Like the police are like, I need you to change your story and say it's 450. So this fits. It's not like that. That's not like generally speaking, that's generally not not how it happens. Usually it's more like we have a witness that saw them together at 454. Couldn't she have left at 450? Maybe, you know, and and that just, it just starts to send the snowball down the hill. And again, I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's what that kind of feels like to me when, when they consistently give one time a witness gives a different time and suddenly their time changes to fit with the witness. That doesn't feel like, because how would the family know that, right? The family wouldn't know that unless the police told them that it would be make much more sense maybe if she left at 450. Absolutely. And I think what kind of goes, maybe goes without saying, and here I am saying it anyway, but is that I think especially our listeners um, are really good at reminding us, each other, ourselves, 
that when you are working in wrongful convictions, one thing you have to be really careful of is if you believe that somebody has been railroaded or if you just believe that somebody has been Mm -hmm. wrongfully convicted, that the temptation to then turn suspicion onto a different party with as much or less or a pinch more than what someone was, you know, something was used to convict someone. That's not doing anyone any favors, and that's not not working in in the line of truth and justice. It's just it's hard. You're in, when you're investigating something, you know, you want to find answers, but we have to be really careful not to apply that same lens to someone else that put someone else in prison in the first place. Right. Bethany said, "Did Luke or others testify that Luke had played with his dog or trained his dog with the find Jody command in the past?" A little more specific there. I don't know the answer to that. We're going to hear more about the trial this week. It, it, it sounds like I want to be clear when I'm just when I'm thinking out loud rather than like citing a fact. So me thinking out loud, in my my opinion, it sounds to me like he was looking for a scent, right? And the the professional trainer that was helping train the dog was training them him to find a scent. So I don't know that that she was trained to the command find Jody. Probably, I assume that even with a scent, that's how you would do it. I don't know. But I would, you know, like for me, like when I take Mac out hunting, for him, his command is bird. He'll walk right next to me until I say the word bird, and then he takes off and he starts zigzagging the field looking for, looking for birds. So I assume that find is that command, but I don't think he's trained just to go look for somebody without a scent. But you have to remember, too, that, you know, I think Sandra made a good point about it, like him walking through. She said that Luke did say that... The dog may have reacted on the way through, but he wasn't tracking with Mia, the dog, on the way on the way there. He had told Judith, he had told Jody's mom, all right, well, I'm going to walk down the path to your house, and I'll see if she's anywhere along that path. And so he was walking, and he was like, the dog's going all over the place. He wasn't, you know, looking for indicators. Once he got all the way there, and they met him at the, at the entrance of the path, and she hadn't been found, they said, okay, now I'm going to say, all right, tell the dog, find Jody. So now he's paying attention. The other thing to consider is even if the dog is not specifically trained to find Jody, like some of the stuff we talked about last week, Zach, like how well does he know her? Or is he going to know I'm looking for Jody? Especially after hearing about the crime scene, I don't think that it would take any of that or even a trained dog to react the way that Mia reacted mm-hmm. because there's blood everywhere, right? So you have you have this crime scene. And also the reason cadaver dogs can find cadavers is because the minute your body dies, it starts off-gassing and puts out a very distinct smell. A very distinct set of gases. So when Mia got to that location in the V, even if this is just a regular old German Shepherd is not a, is not trained to search for a particular person, any dog, my dog Ruger, who's who love him to death, dumbers the sack of hammers. But if he were to to be going for a walk and all of a sudden smelled a bunch of blood and a rotting corpse, sorry to use that term, but I mean that's that that process starts happening immediately. That would get his attention. He would react to that. So it could have been as simple, like 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 Zach had mentioned last week. You said he like maybe it's kind of conflated, and maybe you're right. Maybe that's what it was. Something as simple as that was he wasn't really tracking Mia. He's just like, hey, I smell blood and something dead over here, and was was going at it. Could yeah, it, and I wonder too if that's the that's the 14 year old kid because this is a kid. I mean, we got to keep yeah. mind this is a kid. So I, I'm not saying he didn't say find Jody, but maybe that's the 14 year old kid in him where he's like, go find Jody, boy or girl, you yeah. know, and. He thinks that the dog is doing that. And and obviously the dog led him to it. But again, is it conflating that the dog actually, you know what I mean? Like knew that command. Yeah. And I think both things can be true. I think that it could be conflated in the way that this dog was on a, was in tracking mode and knew it was looking for Jody and found Jody, that maybe that's overly conflated. 
but also the dog found Jody yeah. for a different reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going into the Andrina Bryson sighting, which I imagine you guys will be talking a little bit more about maybe in the future. Kim says the Andrina Bryson sighting is very specific. What time is that specific time based on and how solid is it? And then just to add to that, Olivia says, and did she know either of them personally personally, or were they strangers to her? We will get into those details this week with Sandra from what I know. I'll tell you what I know from now, which could be incorrect. So keep that in mind. From my understanding, she did not know Luke or Jody. So it wasn't specific to them. I believe her witness statement was, and Zach, you may know the answer to this too, but I believe her witness statement was that she saw a young couple was the extent mm-hmm. of what she said she saw. If I remember right, it was a young couple. And then she explained that the male, you know, shaggy haired, and it kind of fit Luke's description. Didn't mean it was Luke, but it kind of yeah. fit a loose description of what Luke could be. Yeah. And as far as the time, I don't know where, the, I'm sure I read it somewhere, but I don't know what, because it's, it's a window, right? They, I think it's 449 to 454 or 454 to 459 or something like that. Why am I going to speculate? I don't know. But I'm sure there's there, there's got to be some sort of bookends on that, and uh, as to how they came up with that range. Yeah, and some of the stuff that I've I've come across, it sounds like that's very much in question as well because of the way she first described the sighting, and then how that description and time sort of changed and be it became a little more yeah. f- surprisingly fluid. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about that from Doctor Lean. <laughs> Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This is a little bit of a sensitive subject, even beyond what we've already talked about. Uh, Vicky says, apologies for the graphic nature of this question, but I am wondering if sexual assault would result in the same sort of bruising if it was done post-mortem. For example, we can tell what other injuries were done post-mortem due to bleeding, coagulation, etc. So I'm wondering if sexual assault can be actually ruled out based on a lack of bruising. Would post-mortem possibly result in less or no bruising? And Jenna had a similar question. I hadn't thought about that until I read that question, but uh, the answer to your question is no. So bruising is your body reacting to trauma. So it's, it, it is your live body bleeding under the skin, a reaction to trauma. That, so that's how they're able to tell if something is perimortem or postmortem is because you can see, did it bleed? Did it start to scab? You can tell you know, microscopically that the tissue was already dead at that point, meaning the heart wasn't beating anymore, or were they still alive? So it, at least on a scientific level, I know, no, like you, you don't bruise after for injuries that happen after you're dead, other than like from lividity and stuff. Maybe somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but that's 
to my knowledge, no. So yeah, that's a that's an interesting point is if that was a possibility. And I'll ask Dr. Lean if that was ever considered if someone, you know, after she was dead, there you know, someone was a necrophiliac or just did that one way or the other with a condom that it wouldn't really show any of those bruising or anything like that. Mm. Schaefer, I see you live in the chat, assuming they did a call to the public for potential witnesses during the suspected time frame. Did any other young couples come forward that potentially fit that description? It's a great question. Maybe that's something you would ask Dr. Lane. Well, I know some stuff about some other witnesses that ha- did come forward, but we're going to save that. I think that will not be this week. That'll be next week because that'll okay. be more the case for innocence. Got it. But it will, we will explain all that. Got it. Marina says, was the rest of the woods searched in case the murder occurred somewhere else, given lack of blood at the scene? I do not know, but I'll add that to my list to ask Dr. Lane tomorrow. Okay. Catherine says, I understand that the body was exposed to the elements and rain, so DNA collection would prove difficult. But was any DNA found anywhere on the body? Anywhere. And what were the results? Was any DNA on the outside of the condom to see if it had Jody's DNA on it? It seems that the police concluded that the used condom found in the area of the body wasn't, for some reason, relevant, I guess, is for some reason, but is there scientific evidence to support that conclusion? And Tracy had a similar question. So with the condom, they pretty much deemed it to be irrelevant as soon as it wasn't Luke's DNA, from my understanding. I also, from my understanding, they did not find Jody's DNA on the condom. Pardon the graphic nature, but it, it, it is described the police report as containing fresh semen. Your guess is good, good as mine on that. So whatever that means. I don't know what, what time it was collected. Was it collected after the rain? I, I don't really know. And we'll get into more details about that kind of... It's a, it's, it's a weird thing, right? So you have this... You have a condom with, quote, unquote, fresh semen in it, 20 yards away from a nude body from someone who was brutally murdered and was stripped nude. For all of you that were... And the Pinion Pines, like, what are the odds the business card 180 yards away out in the desert wasn't part of it? I guess we can relate on this one because I'm kind of like, what are the odds yeah. that it's not connected to it? But it didn't have Jody's DNA on it. Uh, as far as DNA on her body, I don't believe they found any DNA on her body, but they did find other people's DNA on her clothing, which we will get into when we get into the Innocence episode. Okay. Because, you know, spoiler, it's not Luke's. Well, I feel like we're going to have a lot more questions about all of that once we have some more information from your upcoming episode. So let's put a pin in that and move on to Allison. And this is our last question. I was wondering about the cost of getting transcripts from the case. Dr. Lean mentioned it's very expensive. Is this something that could be crowdfunded? Just a thought on an actionable item. I had the same thought, Allison. Want to hear exorbitantly or prohibitively expensive, I, I immediately want to know exactly what that means. Yeah. When I saw that question, I thought like, yeah, why didn't I, I should have, I, I will ask Dr. Lee now, because that's what I keep hearing is they're ridiculously expensive, but I don't know what, like, if that number is, it would cost $5,000 to get the transcripts, then I guarantee you our audience can come up with five grand lickety quick and get those transcripts. It's not a saying, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's my saying. Uh, <laughs> I suspect that 20 years into this and so many people wanting it, that if it was $5,000, they would be out there at this point. So I, I'm I'm guessing it's significantly more than that. But we'll see. And then also you have the hoop to jump through of if you pay to get the transcripts, can you then still not share them? Mm. Because that is the situation that Dr. Lean is in where she is working. She now, you know, she has a PhD in criminology and works with the defense. So she can have access to it, but she can't share 
those documents with anybody else, or as she said, they will come after her for with criminal charges. We'll we'll see about that. Worry about say, Janet? Oh, I'm just I'm really curious about that because that's just the kind of thing that I think many of us who want to know the why behind the why behind the why. I'm very curious why that is. Is it about protecting uh, victims and victims' families and information from being available to the public that would be considered unseemly or, you know, private in some way, which I totally understand? I'm just very curious what the reasoning is behind some of these practices. All I can tell you is I don't like it. As you, as I said with Dr. Lean, I'm like, that seems so dangerous to have any kind of accountability if it's like, nope, we can, we're going to have this trial, we're going to convict someone. And the public is not allowed to see what evidence was used, what was said in the trial. That seems very difficult. Certainly, they don't have – that's probably why there's not a whole lot of wrongful conviction, true crime podcasts in Scotland going through stuff like this because they, you know, they're working blind. Hmm. Well, that's all we have for this week. You know what? That's just fine after last week's marathon follow-up session that we had. Yes. All right. So we're going to we're gonna go ahead and wrap this thing up. Thank you guys all so much. And again, make sure you tune in. So Sunday, Dr. Lean's back. We're going to talk about the case against Luke. Two days ago when you're hearing this on Wednesday, probably if you're watching this live, probably in the evening Wednesday, episode five of the reply brief. Listen, I've been editing my own stuff. I have fumbled saying reply <laughs> every single time, including, including that, that one. one. I cannot say it. Uh-huh. Reply brief, episode five, which covers from January 14th through the day that Adnan was arrested. That's out this week. Uh, I haven't recorded it yet, but I'm guessing there's going to be another solid hour. As I mentioned earlier, the script is already 20 pages long. Mm-hmm. So that's out there. If you're on the Patreon, don't forget that uh, if you're not on the Patreon, you don't want to pay the $5 to hear the reply brief series. That's perfectly fine because after Luke's series, I'm going to start dropping those episodes on the main feed because, as I mentioned, Brett and Alice have declined to have an open conversation about it. So we're just going to – I'm just going to put the – Drop it like it's hot. Yes, I'm going to (laughs) drop it like it's hot. uh, Great. Says Zach. And again, if you want to go see me and Zach tell dumb jokes, we'll be doing that in Southwest Michigan uh, in a couple of weeks. be two weeks from today when you're hearing this on Friday the 13th. Those tickets are 20 bucks a piece. You can get the tickets at bobruffevents.com. And I think that is all she wrote. Thank you, everybody in the YouTube chat for participating. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening every week. And a big thank you to our patrons for all the support that you give us in the community we're building over there. And one more time, a big thank you to Brandon Reynolds, the host of the Journos podcast, which is also great, by the way. And you guys should check out if you're interested in uh, some behind-the-scenes talk from journalists like him. Check that out. But thank you, Brandon, for the editing work. And that's it. I'm going to stop talking now and make his job easier. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye, friends. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. 
And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truth and justice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice.